You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. So we're in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, Paul says this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So this is the word of the Lord to us today, right? Uh, Let's pray. Father, I just want to pray, just come to you um, and ask you, uh, before I preach your word, to come and just be present among us. Lord, your word says that where two or more are gathered together, there you are in our midst, that you're here and that you're, you're desiring to answer our prayers, desiring to give us the desires of our hearts. Father, we just, we, we just ask that your spirit would come and bend and shape the desires of our, help, our, our hearts. Help us to desire to want you more. Help us to desire to be transformed and changed. Um, through the hearing of your word. Um, Lord, I ask that you would come and unleash the fury of the love of Christ upon us through the preaching of your word today. And uh, trust that uh, that's what you'll do. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. So, uh, this section of text that we're in uh, this week is all about children and parents, right? All about kids, all about parents. Um, And these Two words, I think, can have a variety of different effects on a room full of people. Let's just think about the variety of effect around the room when we talk about the topics of children and parents. Uh, When we hear the word children, um, there are some people in the room today that will be uh, affected positively. And then there's others who will be affected negatively. And I think it's just good for us to start um, in this study today just addressing that. Um, just giving voice to that. Because on the positive side, there's, there's maybe the joy that some people uh, here would feel um, who've maybe found out that they're pregnant or have had kids or who have just adopted kids, right? Um, and, then, and then there's other people in the room um, uh, where there might be a negative uh, effect. Uh, there might be a frustration. There might be, there might be pain there for some folks in the room, maybe who, uh, people who want to experience having children and have yet to have that experience. Um, and so we, we know that we have people in the room that are on both sides of that fence, and I think it's just good for us just to draw attention to that. Um, there's also the individual experience. I want you to think about that. Your own individual experience, um, either as a child now, because there's a couple of children in the room, um, or, or for all of us in the room that were children at one point. Um, think about it from that standpoint. Um, All of us are either experiencing something as children or have experienced something as a child at one point. Um, Our experience with our parents um, can do the same thing. It can bring about a sense of joy um, and happiness for some of us. Um, And then for others of us here in the room, it might not bring a sense of joy and happiness. It might bring um, a constant sense of disappointment, right, or or fear um, or, or shame, could be attached to the memory of our relationship with our parents. Um, And so I think as we talk about 
um, children and parents, we just, I think it's just good for us just to kind of think about the different negative and positive emotions and feelings. Um, and, I, and I bring our attention to that for a couple of different reasons. Uh, one, uh, one, I want to uh, draw our attention to the fact that while the topic of children and parents uh, really is a relatively simple topic, this passage is pretty straightforward. There's not a whole lot of nuance to it, really, um, even though that's fairly simple. Um, the reality is that the emotional baggage that we carry into the room with us, the bag that you carried over your shoulder in terms of your experience as a child or with children or with parents, um, is varied. Okay? And it can be super complex. Simple topic, complex baggage. Uh, two, I think for me, I, I, the other reason I bring this up is that just by way of confession on my side, um, when I come to this topic of children and parents, I, I come to this topic, this theme, with my own varied set of experiences and emotional baggage as well. Um, so I'm just like the rest of you um, as we gather in this room to hear from God's word. And then number three, the third reason I kind of uh, uh, bring this up on the front edge um, is that the regardless of the experiences uh, and regardless of the presence of or the lack of any emotional baggage for us in the room, um, now there's still a word from the Lord here for every one of us. It's not like just because you're in this room maybe and um, you've got some pain, so to speak, with this area of parents or kids that it's just like, I don't want to deal with that. Or on, on the other side, maybe you don't have a lot of experience and so you're like, well, I don't know what this really has to do with me then. The reality is, is that God's word is living and it's active and it's powerful and it's true and it's meant to speak to all of us. So lest you think as you sit in this room that, man, maybe this isn't meant to speak to me, I just want to encourage you and say, Actually, I think it is meant to speak to every one of us here if our hearts would be open and ready and willing to receive. Okay? Okay. So, simple topic, complex baggage. Got my own personal story. Every one of us has our own personal stories. Um, and in our own distinct way, every one of us needs to hear from the Lord today. And, and I think, um, lastly, before we go to the text um, my prayer all week as I've been preparing this, studying this, and praying for it, my prayer really has simply been that God would reveal more of his heart to us. Uh, that's really what my prayer has been. God, would you please reveal more of your heart to us as a daddy who loves his kiddos, and that the, that the revelation of that heart, that as we encounter our, our daddy's heart for us as his children, that our encounter of that, that that would then motivate, radically motivate, radically transform us in our uh, levels of obedience. Okay? Because listen, if you're motivated towards obedience in any other way, um, things will be very destructive for you. If you're not motivated by a, a loving Papa in heaven who loves you, then that, that's my hope. And, and, and honestly, um, you might say, man, I think I've encountered the Papa's heart for me as a loving daddy. Um, can I just say, like, encountering his heart for you once, twice, 300 times at camp, whatever it was, um, you still need to encounter that again in a fresh way. And so do I. I really need that. And so that's my hope today. That's my aim, is that through this, we would learn some things about what it means to be children, for children in the room. I'm looking at my own kids. Because it's such a unique place to be the preacher and a daddy of kids in the room, right? 
Um, and so I'm hoping that for kids in the room that you're able to hear some things, and I'm also hoping um, for parents in the room you're able to hear, hear some things. I'm also hoping for the rest of us who have been kids, who may be parents someday, or who may just have the opportunity to come alongside of other parents. Um, because you don't have to have kids to come alongside of other families um, and help them with their kids, right? So I'm just hoping that for all of us all across the board, my prayer and my aim is that God would come, reveal his heart to us, and that would radically transform us and motivate us. So that being said, the text, right? Let's go to the text. Let's think about the text for a little bit. As we go to the text, like we have to remember that in Ephesians, Paul's, Paul's letter here to the Ephesians, um, what he's done is he spent considerable, considerable time in the earlier chapters, um, so we're in chapter 6, he spent a ton of time in, in the chapters preceding this, those five chapters, um, driving home the truths of our identity in Christ. And then, and then for the last couple of chapters that we've been in, uh, four and five specifically, he's been hammering home the, the truths of how we are called to what? Walk, right? Walk out our calling in obedience to Christ. And then as we get into the last chapter, chapter 6 here, what we're doing is we're nearing the end of that second theme, uh, commonly referred to as the what section. The walk section, okay? Are you tracking with me? Y'all are like kind of here. The walk section is the second section. The first section is the sit. Thank you. Yeah, you guys are doing good. I'm so proud of you guys. Check mark on your star chart in heaven, okay? You catching this? So sit. Walk, stand. Those are the three themes all throughout Ephesians. First theme was sit, be seated in your identity, in who and whose you are. Walk. Now that you know your identity, you know who you are, walk this out. You can't walk this out unless you know who you are. The primary problem with our walking is the fact that we're not seated. Seated. Because seated is not a word. I see all the homeschoolers in the room looking at me like, Joe. Get that straight. I was homeschooled too, just so you know. Um, so you cannot walk if your seat is not in the right place. You need to go back, check out what's happening in your seated position. So sit, walk, and then stand. And we're coming towards the end of the walk rightly section. Now this section, this walk rightly section, um, it's been super practical, right? Super punchy, if you ask me. Um, Paul has chosen his words carefully. He's chosen his words carefully. He's addressed uh, a ton of things, right? He's addressed everything uh, from being actively involved in the local church with your gifts and your abilities. He's addressed greed. He's addressed impurity, sexual sin, malicious slander, gossip, deception, lying, drunkenness, marriage. I mean, Paul hasn't really left any stones unturned. If you've read the book of Ephesians and you've studied through it, the last couple of chapters that we've been in, four and five, there's not a whole lot of argumentation over what he means there. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward, pretty punchy. The problem for us, I have this quote somewhere, is, is not so much that we don't like to read his word, it's that we don't like what his word says to us. That's really the issue deep down inside for all of us. Because what God's word says to us is meant to correct us, Right? Um, and, and that's the point of this second section. It's just like, hey, walk rightly if you know who you are. If you don't know who you are, then go back and find out who you are. It's super practical, super punchy. He's addressed, of, addressed a ton of things. 
And what he's done towards the end of this second section here, as we come into the end of five and into the beginning of chapter six, is he's honing in on the family unit. I mean, you might remember that preceding that, he said something on the lines of, don't be drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instead, be saturated with the Holy Spirit. But that's what drunkenness is, is saturating your flesh with something and being under the control of something else, right? And what he's saying is, hey, I want you to be saturated with the Holy Spirit. I want you to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, the way that that looks is this way. Um, This is what it looks like in your marriage. This is what it looks like in relationship between parents and children. And then this is what it looks like, thankfully, next week, between masters and slaves. That's going to be fun. Okay, it's going there. Um, Table that for a minute. So he's into this part where he's saying, this is what it really looks like for you to be a spirit-filled people. Relationship between parents and children. So the question first is, what do children need to hear? And what do parents need to hear? Let's start with the children, because that's where Paul starts. First thing Paul does is gives instructions for children in verses 1 through 3. You might look at that with me. Paul says, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. Now, the picture I have in my head when I read these instructions from Paul um, is that he's asking children to obey and honor, those two things, obey and honor their parents. And what it is for me is it's a picture of a child who does this joyfully, okay? It's a picture of a child who joyfully obeys, joyfully honors his parents' instructions. Now, the question that I think you and I have to ask is, why would a child do that joyfully? Why? Why why would any of us want to obey or honor joyfully? Okay? We've asked that question. I think it's worthwhile. I think the answer to the question in the text is that a child joyfully obeys, joyfully honors his or her parents because that child understands it is the right thing to do. Period. Like, it's just the right thing to do. Now, that child has a desire to do the right thing rather than the wrong thing. So think about that. Think about your desires. What do you want to do? Well, just look at your life and look at what you're doing, and you'll see what you want to do. Agreed? Okay. For a child who obeys and honors joyfully, what that person understands is that this is the right thing to do, and it motivates their desire towards obedience also understands that obedience and honor will make his or her life better in the long run. This is what Paul is saying. This is going to make your life better in the long run. So fairly simple instructions, right? What Paul is saying here is not, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to read that text and kind of arrive at where we've arrived at. It might take a little bit of a wordsmith, um, but fairly simple. But I do want to say this, don't forget the complexity of human experience, Okay? Just don't, don't forget the complexity of human experience. Like children do not always obey with joy. Kids, okay, there's four of you at least in the room. Is it easy to obey with joy? Come on, you can be honest. You can be honest. Is it easy to obey with joy? No, it's, it's hard, right? You've got to ask yourself, why is it hard? Why is it hard to obey with joy? Any of you go and take a crack at answering that? Like, please don't put me on the spot. Lewis, you got something? You look like you got an answer. No? All right, it's all right. Why is it hard to obey with joy? Adults in the room, you might be tracking and thinking. Maybe you know what the answer is. 
why is it hard to obey with joy? Why is it hard to honor our parents? See, we often spend our time sulking. Anybody here sulk? Anybody here pout? And we often spend our time sulking and pouting. Why do we sulk and pout? Can somebody answer that question? Why do I sulk? Why do I pout when I do this? I'm not getting my way. Yes, good job. I didn't get my way. Sulk, I'm going to pout, I'm going to hang my head down. Let me ask you a question. Is that obedience? And is that honoring? It's not, is it? It's not obedience and it's not honoring. But this is what oftentimes happens. Spend our time sulking, pouting because we didn't get what we wanted. We think it's actually obedience because we're doing what's asked of us. But again, obedience that soaks and pouts really isn't obedience at all. And I want you to think about the culture that we live in too, okay? So think about the culture that we live in for just a minute. The culture that we live in, actually, if you watch, like, uh, if you watch shows on TV, yes, I said shows. You watch shows on TV. Um, Seth gives me guff all the time for using the word show. Apparently, show, the using the word shows shows my age or something. Because younger people like Seth use different language. I think so, yeah. I think you've done that a lot of times. <laughs> I love it when you give me guff. It's good, so it just shows that you love me. So I just I give you guff back, and it's good. Um, if you watch shows on TV, you watch movies, I think oftentimes what we see in our culture is we see a, uh, a celebration of disobedience, don't we? It's a celebration of rebellion, isn't it? Isn't that the culture we live in? Anarchy, right? You don't like something the president says? Throw a fit, right? That's what we should do. Um, now, again, I, it's, a, it's good to have issues with what our government may say, so on and so forth, but I think that our culture celebrates rebellion, celebrates dishonor and disrespect, rather than celebrating obedience and honor. We, the culture doesn't promote obedience and honor um, as, a, as a way of celebration. So just think about those things. Um, so the culture has definitely infected us as people. We live in it, and, and we create it at the same time. Now, here's something I've often said, too. I've often said that um, when the consequences of obedience taste better than the consequences of rebellion, then all of us will begin to obey joyfully rather than begrudgingly. Think about that. When the consequences of obedience taste better than the consequences of rebellion, uh, then all of us will begin to obey joyfully rather than begrudgingly. You see, the, here's the consequences, I think, of disobedience and disrespect. What do you think they are? I think, I think the consequences of disobedience and respect, at least some that came to my mind, are mistrust and further rebellion. Don't you think? Like, when somebody is disobedient, I have a hard time trusting them. Don't you? Um, and so I just, th and then what happens, too? The more, that, the more that you continue to disobey, the more that you continue to walk in rebellion, what happens then? You walk in more rebellion, Right? Your heart kind of hardens against that which is good. And we see this pattern in ourselves, I'm assuming, if you're thinking about this. See this pattern in yourself personally, maybe even now. But if not even now, at least when you were kids, right? And at least if you have been around kids um, much, then you can see that pattern in them too. As soon as a child is allowed to get away with being rebellious, right, and is not disciplined well, what does that child continue to do? to spiral out and spin out into more rebellion and more rebellion, which then breeds more mistrust. I, I think there's a whole host of other untold like amounts of other painful consequences, I think, 
Uh, those are just some that I can think of. Um, I, I think, what, as, I, as I'm thinking about that, though, I, I, we need to remember uh, that the promise of sin is always pleasure, isn't it? Isn't that what the promise of sin is? Pleasure. This is going to be good. This is going to be better than whatever. That's the promise of sin, pleasure. But here's the thing. I think what we learn, and especially what God's Word says, is that that pleasure that sin promises us, I mean, it's short-lived. It's short-lived and it's deceptive. Because what does sin lead to? What does sin, what, what's the result, the end result of sin? Somebody tell me. Death. Now, death, does death, does death sound pleasurable to, to you? No. No. The promise of obedience um, and the promise of honor in this passage to a child is what? A long life, right? A long, good life. It's interesting if you actually do some of the studies, and I don't really have a lot of time to go into it, it's just a little bit of a bunny trail for you. If you go into the studies and you just check um, like psychology um, and sociology, if you check those things, uh, you look at communities and cultures and societies that have um, fairly good discipline in it, people actually live longer. And you look at societies that are really disruptive, even families, you look into the family unit where the family unit is just chaotic because there's absolutely no discipline. Um, you'll see that, that people have a tendency to live not as long. So it's just, it's interesting to look at some of those and then read this in the text and go, man, science proves it's true. That's interesting. Who would have thought that God would use something like science to prove himself right and true? Now, this isn't an exact formula. That, I want to guard us against that, too. So we, we hear this like a promise. And the reality is, this isn't written as a promise. This is written as wisdom literature. Um, and, and wisdom literature like Proverbs, okay? There's a proverb that a lot of us quote, um, I think, and you might be thinking of it already when it comes to parenting children. Can anybody just spout it off for me real fast? Raise up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from him. We take that like it's a promise, right? I'm standing on your promises, God. Here's the thing. That's wisdom literature. It's not meant to be a promise. Wisdom literature is basically saying, hey, this is a pretty wise saying. You should generally know that if things go this way, this is probably going to happen. Okay? It's kind of like saying, hey, you know, if you, uh, if you walk outside without shoes on, you're going to cut your foot. It's not a promise that you're going to cut your foot. But it is generally a wise thing if you walk around outside without shoes on that eventually you'll cut your foot. Are you guys tracking with me? You might be asking, why is he, why is he making this point? So the point is because it's important for us to be undergirded by God's word in the right ways. Don't take promises and make them wisdom literature and don't make wisdom literature into promises. Because then you'll be disappointed. So back to this. This is a generally wise statement. That if you live an obedient and honorable life, if you're a child, or anybody who's ever been a child, so then this applies to all of us here, if you make application that way. If you live a life where you try to live obediently, and where you honor others around you, especially those in authority like parents above you, the general wisdom there is that you'll live well, and you'll live long, okay? So I took a long time to just drive that point home. I just, I don't want us to, uh, I don't want us to get that mixed up. My last thought uh, on this part about children is that uh, there is a caveat in this passage. If you go back to the passage again, uh, there's a caveat to the kind of obedience. Okay? 
and the kind of honor that we are called to as children. We're called to obey and honor in what? Obey and honor, look at the text. Obey and honor in the... I'm waiting. Obey and honor in the... Obey your parents in the... There we go, okay. Obey your parents in the Lord. What does that mean? This means that we aren't called to obey our parents when our parents instruct us to do something that is ungodly, unbiblical, or sinful. Okay, so if I come home tomorrow, I'm like, hey, Lewis, uh, I want you to take my truck and go pick up Gracie from school. If Lewis were to refuse to do that, the problem is if I told Lewis today, he probably would do it because he'd like to drive my truck, be my guest. But if I told Lewis to do that, he would refuse and he would be right to do so because he would be, he would be refusing to do something that is ungodly, right? Now, that's, that's a simple um, low haney way of illustrating what this phrase means. There, there are many other ways um, that this would apply then. Here's the thing. Kids, you're not called to gloss over or to ignore the sin in your parents' lives. Some of the most humbling points in my life has been one of my, when one of my children comes over and they're like, Dad, that was wrong. And my instinct is to be like, <laughs> right? Not literally. <laughs> but that's my instinct at first. Like, what are you talking about? I'm your parent. Shut your mouth. Like, that'd be my first instinct. But the reality is that I need my kids to point out my weaknesses too. Um, multiple times. All of my kids have done that. They know our weaknesses. They don't want to hide from those. Um, so kids, you're not called to gloss over sin. You're not called to honor. Listen, you're not called to honor something that God has called dishonorable either. Um, we're called to obey and honor in accordance with what is godly. So children, does Paul say, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you. You may live long in the land. Number two, Paul gives instructions for parents uh, in verse four. Paul says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, the picture that I get here is of a father who is like tenderly and gently, patiently disciplining and instructing his child in the ways of the Lord, right? Sadly, we live in an age of fatherlessness. Our dads all too often passively present are either passively present or, or they're aggressively, overbearingly present or, or not physically present at all. So that's kind of, the, um, kind of the culture that we live in, fatherlessness. And I think the effects of this on entire generations growing up uh, without love and nurture and care that God designed us to um, is, is tough. And what Paul does here is he uses an interesting word. It kind of catches my attention. He uses this word provoke. So think about that word for a minute, provoke. What does that word mean? Provoke. It reminds me of a, a schoolyard bully. That's what it reminds me of when I think of that word. It reminds me of a schoolyard bully who won't quit poking at you, just keeps poking 
right? Poking at you until he pushes you over the edge, won't leave it alone, wants to prove himself right, wants to get a reaction out of you. It's like a picture of, of a nagging friend, maybe. Have any friends that nag? Husbands, don't look at your wife. Stop that. Okay. Like a picture of a nagging friend who won't leave you alone about something until you like just literally explode. You don't have to be a loud and belligerent parent um, to provoke your kids to anger. I think that's the first picture we get, is a loud, belligerent parent. And you don't have to be just a loud, belligerent parent to provoke your kids to anger. Passivity, being physically present while relationally disengaged, think about that. Physically present while relationally disengaged. Um, That can provoke a kid, too. That can provoke deep wounds, and the reason why is because you never know where you stand with that parent. Anybody here experience that? Like, you just never know. You don't know what they think of you because they never connect with you. They're just emotionally and relationally gone, checked out, hiding. Now, a parent who is constantly physically absent, think about that. Not just the physically present but emotionally absent. Think about the parent who is physically absent. That provokes a kid as well towards certain harmful behaviors and coping mechanisms because God designed us to be together as a family unit. So I think these are all ways that we can provoke our children um, to anger and bitterness, either being gone too often or being there but not really being there or being there in such an overly aggressive, overbearing way that your kids cower. Um, Those are ways I think we provoke our kids to anger, bitterness, One of my struggles is not necessarily the present and not being relationally connected, although I do struggle with that at times. It's not my major one. though. my major struggle would be what? What do you think it is? Anybody want to take a crack at it? Does that mean no? Or are you all afraid to take a crack at it? Which, which, Which one is it? What do you think my struggle is with my kids in my home? Control. Okay, I only gave you three options, and control wasn't one of them. But <laughs> <laughs> so let me give you the options. But uh, you know, control I do struggle with. Yes, let me give you the three options again. The three options are overbearingly present, or I'm physically present but I'm emotionally relationally checked out, or three I'm just physically gone all the time. Which one of those three do you think is my struggle the most, Lewis? My son says three, gone all the time. Okay. All right. All right. Melissa says, you think it's two, so you think it's like uh, physically present, emotionally absent, right? Lewis also says one. <laughs> now, which one do you think it is for you? Which one is it for you? Like, where's, where's, where's that place of repentance for you that you need to encounter a daddy who um, is there? It's always been there. It's never checked out. Okay? And when he, and in his presence there, not angry and overbearing, loving you. Because the only way you'll repent in this area, the only way you'll see change in this area is if you can encounter a God who is always present, relationally, emotionally with you, 
He's not overbearing. He's loving you. He never checked out. He's never checked out. Here's the thing in this passage too, just kind of like the last thing I'd like you to see um, is that what Paul I think wants to do is he wants to protect us um, for becoming a parent who is either A, constantly antagonizing, constantly overbearing, constantly provoking our kids. And what he does is he argues for a consistent pattern of godly discipline and instruction. Those are the two words he uses, discipline and instruction. And the word discipline here really has kind of a dual meaning. You could say like a dual prawn, like a fork um, that drives towards one result. Discipline means to form and to correct. So sometimes it's positive formation, other times it's negative correction, okay? So the two pictures I have is just the, the forming of a kid, just the constant, gentle, patient instruction of here's how you're to live, here's how you're to walk, here's what God says about you, here's what I expect of you, and so on and so forth. Like That's just the positive formation of a child's life, right? Always engaged, always there. And then there's kind of the, <coughs> the more negative, corrective side of it when your kid is playing out in the middle of the street and you're like, hey, get out of the middle of the street! Woke you all up, didn't I? Right? Like, you, you got to just jump in at some point as well with your kids. Um, and so there's, the, there's the, the two sides of that. I think balancing that, correction and discipline, like, that's, that's one of the hardest pieces for us, right? How, 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 do you, how do you monitor that? How do you manage that in your life? Here's what I would say. A rule of thumb, fruit of the Spirit. That's probably what I think I use to try to balance those two pieces between uh, just the positive formation, just the gentle, patient. Like, like when, I'm, when, I'm, when I'm getting frustrated and angry, <coughs> when I want to raise my voice, I'm like, would you please get with this and stop doing that? When I get there, i got to step back and ask myself a question. Okay, what is it that's frustrating you, and is it worth you bringing this kind of intensity to your kid's life right now? Like, is it really going to bring about the good that I hope to bring about? Or do I even care about the good that I want to bring about? Or am I just worried because I feel disrespected right now? Because if that's it, I just got issues I need to deal with, right? And so that kind of a process, that has to take place inside of us as parents. Um, so it slows us down. And the other piece is also like um, just getting the um, immediate gratification, Right? Like, I want my kid to look good, and I don't want to be embarrassed that they don't look that good because they're being disobedient right now, right? And so the temptation is, like, bap. I'm not, I'm not arguing for no discipline. I'm arguing for a loving discipline, right? Um, and we, we're going to biff it here. That's the thing. <coughs> so I think it's good for us to in- interact and to engage with what discipline and instruction means, because discipline means to form and to correct. A picture I have here that might help us to leave you with on this piece, um, if it's formative and it's corrective, now I get this picture of a potter, okay? A potter with clay. Sounds biblical because there are biblical references to that. A potter with clay, what's he doing? He's, he's patiently, he's gently, he's got his hands on the clay, okay? He's not just like sitting back in his easy armchair watching football. Hey, yo, kids, shut up, right? 
He's not, he's not doing that. I mean, he's actually up and engaged. And he's, he's got his hands on the clay. He's gently, he's patiently forming that clay pot. He's, he's correcting the direction. He's correcting the speed even um, of that spinning lump of clay until he gets what he wants. Now, this is actually a picture of our Father in Heaven, what he does for us. As parents, as adults, as parental people with parental responsibility for other kids even, um, this is, I think, what it should look like for us to be engaged with our kids. Disciplining and instructing. Formative and corrective. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, before I go into the gospel application, something's been bugging me the whole time. I'm going to back up to it. Um, it's something that I missed. Um, so if you would go back up to point one, this has been bothering me the whole time, so I'm going to guess that it's the Holy Spirit. I don't know how I missed it, and I don't know how I did it, but just a little point of like, hey, I'm not a total heretic, but sometimes I am. Um, in God's word, right, the first part, he says, children, obey your parents, and the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Listen, this is the first commandment with a promise. So I spent a long time dealing with the fact that this is not a promise, it's more like wisdom literature, and I don't know how I missed that. I just know that ever since, um, ever since I wrapped up point one, it's been bothering me like crazy. So if it didn't bother you, you should probably pay closer attention to what I say. Um, so there's probably just a whole portion of my sermon that needs to get reworked here, and, uh, and I'm way open to uh, conversation on that. I just totally missed it. So I, I don't even know how I wrote an entire sermon and, and all that stuff in there about something not being a promise when it says it clearly right there. So you see how easy it is just to miss it? Okay. Um, so there is a promise there, so I'm going to wrap that up. This is the first commandment with a promise. What is the promise? The promise is that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Um, how you work that out? Um, because I've seen a lot of people, by experience, who have lived pretty fairly obedient lives and their lives were cut short. So there's something, there's something more nuanced about this promise than you and I will understand. But I don't think giving it a pat answer of hey, that's just wisdom literature is maybe appropriate here. So I'll just say that. You don't have time to really wrestle with it anymore. Whatever the Lord does with that for you, um, um, maybe, maybe for me it's just humbling and good for me to be able to admit when I'm wrong. And maybe there's a few of you that need to be able to do that too. It's tough. Like, who wants to admit when you're wrong on something? Um, especially in front of your kids. Right? So, gospel application. Why does all this matter? Why does it matter? Like, like, why does it matter, really? This, how, how does the gospel here apply? How, how does this apply to us in all of our complex circumstances? Like, the single parent, the struggling parent, the not yet parent, the rebellious kid. How do you kind of take all of this stuff that we've talked about, and how do you make application to all those complex arenas of life, wherever you're at in your stage of life? I always ask, because application means to believe and obey, so I always ask the question, what do I need to believe? And what do I need to obey? It's the simplest way for me to make application to us. Um, how does this passage just reveal a little bit more of the Father's heart to us? I want you to think about the themes. Four words, right? Obedience, honor, discipline, instruction. Obedience, honor, discipline, instruction. And think about um, the contrast of these themes that we see in, in your own life and in the culture around us. Go back to that thinking again. We kind of started there. Think of some of that contrast. Like we, we see rebellion instead of obedience in our culture, don't we? That's what's celebrated. 
And we can argue the nuances of why and is it okay, yada, yada, yada. I just want to simply say that we live in a culture that celebrates that. Um, so we see rebellions, or we see rebellion instead of obedience. We see, we see mockery instead of in honor. Like it's more fun to mock. I mean, I think back to some of the, my favorite shows on TV when I was a kid. Well, it wasn't my favorite show, but it was one of them that was on, like The Simpsons. Like, not my favorite show, um, but it's just one of those. Um, it's, it's like, that's what's all they do is mock each other, especially mock dad. Like, if, if you want to take, take down a really important institution in our culture, go after the dads. Just make the picture of them look more stupid, right? Tear them down, don't build them up. Plus that's, I think that's what's happening in our culture. So we mock more than we honor. Uh, we see chaos um, instead of discipline. We see resistance to receiving godly instruction, don't we? Check your own heart on this. Don't we see resistance to receiving godly instruction? Instead of a hunger, like a just legit, honest, authentic hunger to learn how to live in God-honoring ways in our culture? Now think about your own human experience. Think about yours. Keep going there. Dig into this. Think about your experience of these themes in your own life. Like some of us in this room here, in this message, we've lived super rebellious lives while resisting what we know to be right. And some of us have lived out of fake obedience with our heads hung low, out of fear and shame and pouting. Some of us are in those places now. Some of us find it really hard to grasp the concept of honoring our parents. Why? Why is it hard for some of us to grasp this? Simply because our parents treated us so poorly that we can't even stand to be in the same room with them. There's some of us that are in that place. And some of us weren't disciplined patiently or gently or lovingly. Some of us in this room were dealt with harshly. I know some of your stories. We were dealt with harshly, abusively. You didn't receive the loving correction or instruction that you needed at all. That's what you grew up with. You learned how to cope with that in ways that were really unhealthy and sinful. Can I just encourage us here for a minute? Can I encourage you for a moment to remember something? Listen, don't let your past sin or someone else's past sin against you cause you to walk in sin now. Okay? Don't let your sin or someone else's sin against you cause you to walk in sin now. Don't use sin as an excuse to sin anymore. Anybody ever read Romans? Don't let sin be an excuse to sin more. Like for those of you that are in this room and you know Jesus, you've trusted him, you're in a vital, growing relationship with them, for you, I want you to remember that at one time you were a child of disobedience. You were a child that was destined for eternal separation from your loving father. But God, listen, and if that's not true, if there's no threat of eternal separation from God, then we have no need for the cross. What are you being saved from at that point? Right? Like God doesn't love you then. You know Christ. You trust in Him and you're following Him. At one point, you were separated from all that was good and you were headed towards a place where there is no good, period. That's where you were headed. There's two trajectories, not some in-between gray space. Where you can kind of play around and do whatever you want now and how love will win me back at the end of the day. That's just the consistent witness of the scriptures. This is what makes God's love look so good, become attractive, 
It's actually what makes the experience of his love so good. He loves you. He loves you deeply. He loves you dearly. In his rich mercy, in his never-ending love, what God the Father did for you while you were a rebel, while you were a son or daughter of disobedience, is he stretched out his son's arms on a cross for you. And his spirit, at that moment, if you're trusting in Christ, he opened your heart and you became what? An adopted child of a resurrected king. That's the message of the gospel for those of you who have trusted in Christ. And it's meant to encourage you once more. He loves you. And this is your daddy. But for those of you who have not yet surrendered to Jesus, you're here, you're not sure, you live in America, so maybe you have a lot of religious experience. Um, you bounce from one church to the next, maybe. Um, just not quite sure, but there's something inside that keeps drawing you back. I want you to hear that regardless of what, you, regardless of what you've done, regardless of your disobedience, Regardless of your running, regardless of the shame and the guilt that you maybe walked in feeling today, regardless of the fear that you have, regardless of your questions, you have a Father in heaven who is chasing after you, not only through the preaching of this message today, but I would imagine through many other mediums at times too. Other people have spoken to you, books, songs, whatever it may be. You have a Father who is chasing you down. That the Spirit of the living God has been speaking to you, and He's speaking to you now, and He's inviting you to come and to surrender to a father who loves you enough to give his son Jesus on a cross to pay the penalty and the price for your rebellion so that by faith, by faith in our resurrected Savior, you can become an adopted child of the King of Kings as well. For every one of us in this room, you may have totally blown it as a parent. Um, maybe the thought of your sin last night makes your stomach churn. Um, but, but I just want to remind you, the picture that we have of our Heavenly Father is the picture of a daddy who is waiting at the end of the driveway for his runaway kid to come home so he can throw a party for them. He's not waiting at the end of the driveway going, I want to throw a party for the kid who is the most obedient. He's waiting at the end of the driveway and he's saying, I want to throw a party for the rebellious kid that comes home. How do you think that would motivate that kid who comes home? Well, there's two ways to continue in their rebellion, take advantage of their father who loves them that much. What do you think that's a picture of? That's a picture of grace. Because really, true grace um, could be taken advantage of, and it can be wasted. What do you think that, what do you think that, that would motivate in, 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 a, in a child who is a true child of that that parent, though, would motivate love and obedience and honor. And when you see this picture of the Father that our Papa, God, actually is, like, what does that provoke within you? Like, I hope that that's been the picture that has just kind of been weaved in and through this message. Kind of, what does that provoke within you? Do you, do you just want to run out of here and totally ignore your papa, your father, your daddy? Or do you want to run out of here and spend time with him? Or are you still in a place maybe where you maybe just mistrust, you really don't know? You know in conclusion, um, for me as a father of seven kids, a father-like pastor of some, um, 
I've often not only struggled with the pain of fatherlessness. Um, my dad left when I was five, so I, I spent years wrestling through the, the negative sides of uh, fatherlessness in my own personal life. I wrecked our family at, at one point, and um, so I, I've wrestled with this, still do, um, wrestle with that with a lot of you that I get to walk with and share your journey with. Um, I just like to say, I, like I've blown it really bad as a father, more than enough. And I think in, the, um, in, in my experience of that, it's hard for me to comprehend my Father in heaven that would never leave me or forsake me. That's been one of the hardest comprehensions for me to overcome, and still overcome. Because my picture, my, my personal, physical experience of dad is not there. I just woke up one morning and he was gone. So... That's been probably one of the most, um, like, just one of the hardest things I've dealt with over the years. Like, I, there's, how could, how could a father always be here? Um, typically would think that somehow I just got to do something right to earn his favor so that he would come home and love me. Uh, I don't know what that struggle was like for you. Um, but what this picture of the father does for me is it provokes within me um, like, a, like, like a sense of yearning, like a desire. That's what it kind of does for me. I, I, I desire to be with my father. Um, I want to desire to be with a father who's never going to leave. I think it's, it's especially hard for me to comprehend this when I'm, when I'm like really afraid or when I'm really feeling really alone or insecure. And what I've needed to experience over the years um, it is the never-ending love, the present love. Um, you hear me pray this, I think, every Sunday, like the furious love of Jesus. And that's just a phrase that has captured my attention, that the Father would unleash his furious love um, on us. Like, I need that. Um, and, I, and I think the older I grow, I think the more that I need of that. And, I, and one of my other recent revelations over the last few years as I've wrestled with this issue of fatherlessness and parenting and raising kids and being a kid um, is that Jesus, like my father, my father knows my sin better than I do. I mean, if you guys probably hear me preach this quite a bit, but my father knows my sin better than I do, and yet he still loves me completely. He knows my sin completely, and he loves me completely. How hard, if this is hard for you to comprehend, how hard is it for you to love other people in the midst of their sin? When you see how sinful and broken somebody really is, how hard is it for you to follow through with loving that person? Well, it's hard, right? Our Father doesn't struggle with this at all. It's no struggle for Him at all. That's hard for me to comprehend. Because my, my sense is like, God's going to be like, ew, you're gross. You're sinful. I don't really want to be around you. But that's not the picture that we get in Scripture. It's not the picture that we get with the cross. The picture that we get of God. So he knows our sin completely and he loves us completely. And why? Because of the faith, not that I conjured up, but the faith that he gave me to trust in the work of Christ at the cross. So even God's commands, the things that I shudder at sometimes, the things I kind of hang my head, I'm like, man... Do I really have to? Um, even those commands. And then even the consequences that I experience from my own sin, what are those? 
Those are instruments of God's love towards me. They're instruments of God's love towards me. His loving kindness towards me. Because why? Because His commands are meant to keep me safe. Period. Guardrails on the side of the road that keep you from dangling over the edge of the cliff. His commands are like boundaries, meant to keep me safe. And they're meant to remind me also of his loving kindness. And what are those then meant to do? They're meant to provoke me towards what? Joy-filled obedience. So I find it easier to obey with joy. When I get a picture of my Father in heaven who loves me this way, and he says, you know what? It's not just that I love you this way, but it's that you are loved. Like, that's an identity thing. This is who you are. How? Now I'm enabled. Now I'm motivated to obey my Father with joy. And my last question for you is, how does this provoke you? What is this picture of our Father provoking you. Let's pray. Father, I uh, do pray that you would take what I've said here, um, remove the things that were not of you, clarify and highlight the things that are of you, the things that you wanted to say to us, the things that you wanted to speak to our hearts. Father, I pray that you would take our, um, just our like, feeble offering um, and God that you would that you would even just come and in the midst of that that you would speak to us still I pray Father that as we close um, that you, you would take us to the foot of the cross that you would help us to encounter your great love for us in the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus help us to apply that once again to places of our hearts that are weak and need strengthened Dirty and need cleansed. Broken need healing. Broken need fixed. Sick need healing. Sinful need repentance. Uh, Father, I pray that you would do that in these closing moments. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.